Hello, welcome to the pilot episode of Two Track Mind. It's a new podcast where with me, I'm Liam Toms, and I'm joined, this is my co-host, Ebba Crawley. Hiya. Ed's going to be here for all the episodes, as will I be. It's a, <laughs> uh, it's a joint venture, so hopefully you like the sound of one of us. Um, you know, we've given you two options, so what more do you want? It'd be awkward if they only liked one. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping, you know, do, do you think p- people like Ant or Deck more, more one than the other? Oh, I think recently I've, I'm siding with Deck after yeah. the issues Ant's had. Yeah. I Personal yeah. issues. Yeah, but before He's that... He's dealing with them. <laughs> but before that, do you think they had a favourite? I definitely didn't. No, just just see us as a package, we come together. Uh, and we've, you know, we're going to tell you a little bit about ourselves before we get on to today's topic, which is... Uh, Ed, what's the topic today? We are discussing uh, debut albums from the noughties, from the 2000s. Yeah, and we've got our top five that we've picked, and we'll get onto that topic in a bit. Uh, but as I say, we want to tell you a little bit about who we are, for those of you that don't know us, and maybe even those of you that do know us that are listening, thank you very much for, for tuning in. Uh, just tell you, or remind you about you know our friendship and where, where it started, because we've been friends almost conveniently since the beginning of the noughties, really. But yeah, I was thinking about this earlier on. I've actually known you for as long as I can remember. Going back, like, I, I can't remember a time. It's a long, old time, because I can remember going to Moore's Valley at, like, five years old. Well, and you remember I, you, me there? No, <laughs> no, I'm just saying. When does your memory stop? Oh, when does it start? Yeah, how, start how would be better, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's glimpses, but I do remember you from nursery school. I, yeah. So... But and I wonder, you know, how many people are doing podcasts where the where the hosts have known each other for that long? No, I think a lot get into this podcasting from convenience. We're yeah. doing it out of friendship. Yeah, exactly. And we hope that comes across, I guess. Um, but we've been friends, you know, since the beginning of the 2000s when we ended up at secondary school together. And, you know, our friendship has really been defined by a shared interest in music, hasn't it? And it's sort of why we're here today doing this podcast. But... You know, going back to the early 2000s, uh, when we were friends at school, we, we used to make mixtapes for each other, which yeah. I'm, I'm sure is something that, you know, a lot of people have done and can relate to. Uh, can you remember any of the stuff from those mixtapes? Well, I did ask you not to. to. On the spot. <laughs> I, did, I remember I did a sort of dancier one, which was inspired by you maybe doing one with some Roiksop on. Okay. Uh, I think I put pink, get the party started on one. <laughs> I really, I seriously think I do. You might be right. Uh, I wasn't going to, I said I wouldn't mention it, but Alice DJ, hey, is it? I don't know. But did you, well, I put that on yours or you put that no, on mine? No, I put that on yours. I oh, had to, okay. You know, that was back in the days of downloading stuff off like um, Audio Galaxy and Kazar. And yeah. But I mean, I, you know, I've been a fan of Alice DJ, I think, even before that, so... Yeah, but so it makes Maybe sense that like, was the point that when when you did that, that I thought, oh god, we're on the same we're on the same page. We also here. did like <laughs> other mixtapes of punk and ska, the occasional bit of indie on. Yeah, but I don't think I ever got a mixtape of you that I thought I didn't like all the tracks. I can remember one where you'd put, I think, two tracks from Warning, the Green Day album. Nice. On. on. Well done, me. Yeah. Um, and Counting Crows. Yeah, I've, 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 I love uh, Counting Crows. Very, very happy to have shared that band because it was shared with me from my one of my older sister's friends. 
it's kind of what it's about, really, isn't it? I mean, I I think we'll probably end up talking about mixtapes. I've I've got one in mind. In in fact, some of the the choices that I've got from my top five do kind of uh, spin out of mixtapes that people made for me. Well, I think it's a, the idea of doing debut albums um, from the noughties is sort of you know this is when we started. We already liked music, but this is when we could hear a band and buy the album sure. in real time almost. Like, not go back and get an album from the 90s that we liked, but we'd see the video, we could go and get the album, and it was our new favourite album for that time, you know. Yeah, so yeah. It, 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 it's when I think a lot of people would have started, at our age, you know, in their 30s or slightly younger, would have actually seen a video on MTV or Scuzz or Kerrang! And they would have said, I'm going to go and buy that debut album. Which is So it seems like a good point to start. Yeah, and then after buying the albums, we went to see the bands, and I guess that was kind of the next stage of, of our musical friendship, was starting to go to gigs. Yeah, I think 2003, our first yeah. Like, proper... Yeah, yeah, a couple of local shows before that. But yeah, 2003 would have been my uh, both our first proper shows where we were spending mm-hmm. proper money and needed our parents to take us. Yeah. And and we went quite, you know, we went quite far, we went further afield, we went to a different country, we went to uh, Cardiff. Yeah. That was our first Less Than Jake show, which I'm sure we'll talk about um, as, as, this, as this series goes on. Uh, so we had a good few years of gigs, and then we, we jumped into it ourselves and, and joined bands. Initially, we were in two separate bands, um, and, but played gigs together yeah, on the yeah, same bill. Yeah, gigs together. And then uh, around 2008, we were in the same band, and yeah, and then, and then moved into touring, so, it, you know, it's, it's quite a clear trajectory of, of, of where we started from and, and where uh, we ended up. I think any, any, any person, any musician who's been in a local band that has done the touring scene at any level will appreciate what that does to, to friendship. And it, it certainly makes you stronger. We've had highs and lows, haven't we? Yeah, definitely. But we are still here and uh, hopefully... Uh, We'll be here for a few more episodes of this podcast. Yeah, maybe once we've done a few podcasts, we might do an episode where we talk about the highs and the lows. Yeah. Because they're quite funny now in hindsight. Might be like a four-parter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Deluxe box set edition. Um, So, yeah, so we did the touring. um, But the bands, I mean, and and doing that, I mean, we're we're getting near to that being, you know, the best part of a decade ago now. Uh, And we haven't really worked on any projects for a while. There's a few bands that followed... Uh, after we did the touring with that band, um, and I guess we just wanted to get back into into doing something creative together, and and you know you kind of put forward the idea of doing this podcast. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm heavily into my podcast, and um, no doubt over the time I'll share a few that I like. But for now, it is about this particular podcast. And thank you for listening. I know Liam's already said that, but. Um, I, you know, I'm, in a, uh, I'm able to listen to a lot of podcasts all the time. And me and you, uh, you and I discuss music most days. Well, I, was, I mean, I was amazed when you told me recently that how many you actually listen to in a week. I'm quite envious, really. I'm, I've constantly got a list of ones that I'm trying to catch up on. I've got a few regular ones that I try to listen to each week. But, yeah, I mean, you listen to a phenomenal amount of, of different shows. And not just music, a, comedy a, and stuff. And On a good day, I'll do five episodes. It's incredible. Roughly an hour long each. And... Yeah, I take a lot in. There's, I certainly have favourites, and but the thing is, you know, there's a few that are seasonal, and they're coming back into it. So I've had to add them, and some have had a bit of time off. It's you know, it's difficult. So if you've made time for this, thank you. I know it's difficult. Yeah, I mean, for me, 
Definitely, you know. It, I know. Will you listen to this one? Uh, yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll probably have to listen to it a few times in the editing process, and yeah, maybe yeah, listen to it back once it's all done. Yeah, um, I think yeah, as a friendship, you are the brains, and <laughs> I'm the brawn. Is is that? I'm I'm happy to settle with that. But I'm happy to learn also about the editing. <laughs> Good, because I think I might go a bit crazy after a while of doing it. Um, so. As you can probably hear, uh, this is a it's an okay setup at the moment. We we're still doing this fairly DIY, using equipment that we actually have from probably about ten years or so ago. Uh, but the plan is to invest a bit more into and to you know to take a bit more time on on this. But you know, thank you for taking a chance on this uh, pilot episode. We did actually record a conversation as well that if you're interested in hearing, then we'll gladly share the link for that. That was a review of uh, Slam Dunk Festival. Thank you to those of you that uh, was willing enough to take a listen to that and to give us some feedback. And it has shaped what we're doing today, really. Uh, but this is more the format of the show that you'll you'll hear going forward. Um, so without any further ado, we're going to move over to the main topic of the day, which, as we've talked about before, is favourite debut albums. Are they favourite or is it top five? That, that's, this is the thing that I was wrestling with when I was picking mine. Yeah, I, th- I think... I've got some favourites in there, but I think nostalgia is a real issue for me here because I've got some that maybe I would hold to higher regard because I might have seen that band so many times live, but it's not about if you've seen them live or if you met a girl or whatever, you know, whatever your reasons might be. It's about top five debut albums, but, you know, you, you obviously you've got... I love all of mine, and I have had to pick an order because you requested it. Um, <laughs> so we'll be going from five down to one. Yeah, but yeah, and it was tricky, but luckily you've chosen a couple I might have chose, and I've chosen a couple you may have chose. So we've been we've got ten originals. Yeah, there's no double ups. There is in you know um, there could have been, but we haven't. So to start us off, um, shall I go? Yeah, go ahead. Talk so, about five. Massive album from 2000, Linkin Park Hybrid Theory. Excellent. I mean, it was probably on my shortlist when I was going through it. Was it? Yeah. I mean, it's a band, and I won't talk about it too much, I'll let you say your bit of it, but it's a band that I listen to a lot more on that album than I have since. So yeah. probably is buried a little bit in terms of my sort of recognition of them uh, in hindsight, but but it's a good album. I think this is why it had to be included in the top five. It's it didn't make it any further into the top five because I find that at the end of the album there are a couple of skippable tracks, but singles wise, videos that accompanied those singles. And just how quickly they blew up. It was a massive debut album. And I think for a lot of people, whether you liked ska, punk, indie, rock, Britpop, you know, whatever you liked, you couldn't ignore it. Mm. And I feel like it was one of the first albums, for me personally, why it's there. It was one of the first ones I knew every lyric that was from that era. Let's, you know, we are talking about the noughties. And I remember singing like in my bedroom, trying to scream like Chester. And I think, and I think there'll be, I don't know the numbers of listeners, but there'll be a lot of people who are feeling like who hear that album and they go, yeah, yeah I could reel off the list. Absolutely, for our generation, it's it's an essential. It's you know, it's a seminal album, isn't it? 
Um, I can remember, and this has just come to mind as you've been talking about it, I remember uh, a friend of ours who had played it to you, and he wasn't sure whether you would like it. This is yeah. our friend Jamie. Yeah. And I remember being sat at school and him saying to you, you liked it, didn't you? <laughs> Do you remember this? Yes. Yeah, this has only just come to mind as you started I talking can't about really, it. I see, this isn't in my notes, so I'd definitely be yeah. gone. Well, it wouldn't have been in my notes. It's just you sort do of have on. one of these memories, though, and this will, this will shine <laughs> yeah, through good, all the episodes, I feel. Uh, yeah, and I remember you going, yeah, I did like it, actually. Yeah. And that was what perhaps made me give it a go as well, because I was like, well, if Ed likes it, then, you know, maybe it's all right. Because I think on the surface, to me, it looked like... I don't know, Iron Maiden Metallica, it just looked like a metal band. I mean, yeah, yeah. obviously, you know, as our knowledge of things became more sophisticated, we knew it was new metal. But I think even had I known a bit about new metal, and maybe I did, maybe I did know about, uh, you know, uh, Limp Biscuit and stuff then, but I don't know, I just saw this as being a lot more sophisticated. Than... Definitely, that's, that's why I wanted to... Uh, I know we're not going to go too deep into each album, but your P.O.D., your... I don't know many of the other bands of that genre by your corn and your Limp Biscuit mm. and the Family Values tour or whatever. Because, I, like you said, the sophistication, Linkin Park seemed to just do it on another level. And I just think that made them stand out. Because I certainly don't own a corn album. Uh, I own a Limp Biscuit album, but, you know, it's the, uh, the Chocolate Starfish, whatever it's called. But I wasn't massively into it. But Linkin Park... I, you know, that became my gym album, uh, and even up until recently, and now, I will still run to it, or I'll still put it on, I've got the vinyl, and I quite often will put it on. Yeah, did you, you got it for record store day, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. same. And um, I think it was, for me, one of the first albums I played loud, when yeah. my parents were out. <laughs> I feel like it was one of the first ones I felt, not naughty, because that sounds a bit loserish, but I felt... No, in fact, I'm going to say it. I felt a bit naughty turning my uh, <laughs> CD player up, my five-disc uh, CD changer. Yeah, I was posh. Um, and I really ramped it, like, crawling and by myself. And, is it, yeah, I just... Yeah, it was a great album. It's good. Has it changed in your mind... I know this is a sensitive issue, but has it changed in your mind since the passing of, of Chester? I do, I, do you know what? I feel like there was actual sadness when it happened and it was like wow he was part of my childhood and we saw them you know um yeah i mean not that long after the album came out it would have been yeah, 2003. yeah 2003 and uh you know at reading festival headlining and that was you know shattered all over blink 182 as a co-headliner like yeah. like they're pretty like so yeah we saw them when they were big that was the peak and yeah. unfortunately i never saw them again you know, yeah. I never, I, plenty of arena shows I could have gone to, but for whatever reason, I probably had spent all my money on other gigs by that point. Um, but yeah, definitely, I don't listen to it and think, oh, you know, Chester's gone. But there's definitely, when it happened, it was a moment. One of the first band guys to go that I was actually a bit sad about. Yeah, I mean, there were others around the time, and there was... Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell was very soon before but I, that. But it, I think when it's in, you know, without discrediting it, I mean, this is, again, it's a very but it difficult But it depends like. Yeah, I think when it's closer to home like that, yeah, it really does shake you, doesn't it? Um, yeah, very sad. Just um, before we move on to the next album, did you have any thoughts at all on, on the reanimation, on the... I loved that album as well. I thought that was really interesting. I really liked that. I only had a copied CD, uh, which I no longer have, 
just in case anyone ever <laughs> would want to do me for it. Um, but yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the reanimation album. I thought yeah. there were some really good remixes on there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things that when we were first getting into music, that stuff we like were, that, we almost, I don't want to say we take it for granted, we almost just assumed that that was what bands did. And I don't know, I now I look back, I think, yeah, I kind of took it for granted because it's not something that you get that often and certainly not to that level of quality. Um, there's there's been no, remix no. albums since, but that was a you know that was a really interesting project. Yeah, and you know it just cemented them even more, didn't it? With going in just before the Meteora album and stuff, yeah. and you know everyone knows what happened in Linkin Park. They just got even just like the massive. artwork as well, like the the kind of remix yeah. artwork was really good. Which uh, talking of uh, artwork, because it is interesting and cool artwork. Your choice for number five. Okay, my number five is Rehasher Off Key Melodies. And this is an album that I first remember listening to, and it was kind of, it kind of came as a, as a surprise because it was hot off the heels of uh, Beers of B Sides coming yeah. out, the Lesson Jake uh, album. Which again, that's another one that's, you know, from the beginning of our, uh, our fandom of music where band just drops a second part to an album that came out the year before. We should state that that band was Less Than Jake. Yeah, Less Than Jake. Uh, and obviously Rehasher is fronted by Roger from Less Than Jake. And I can remember being on the internet, and I believe it was Pure Volume, where they dropped yes. the whole album. Uh, and I was supposed to go and meet my girlfriend at the time. Uh, I saw this Rehasher album had dropped, and I was late meeting her because I stayed to listen to the whole the rehash nice. album. And, you know, when, like, picking these, I mean, I had such a long list, really, of albums that I could have included that are great debut albums from the, from the 2000s, but I tried to go for ones that had, you know, not just a real solid track list, but ones that I feel were sort of, that wove into my life from the time that I can remember those sort of things about. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that was obviously just the beginning of it. After that, I mean, it probably shaped uh, the first band that I was in. Um, yeah, but... I did. Well, having seen that band live and, you know, had the T-shirt, it definitely resonates as, a, yeah. as, a, yeah, I mean, as an it, influence for you. That, that band was, you know, it was a band that I joined that had a, a group of guys that were into Blink-182 and, and that sort of thing. And... Once we, uh, once I joined him, some of the guys I started listening to Rehasher. It, it really just, uh, it just gave us a focus on just speed, really. And I, I think we just wanted to write faster and faster songs. And yeah, um, yeah, it, it did shape that. I definitely remember Off Key Melodies definitely being the soundtrack for a few road trips and stuff hmm. in the car, like um, oh, it was in George's estate. Yeah. And that just blaring, you know. Well, that's it. There you go. Pumped into I mean, it via a tape deck adapter to the CD This is all I mean. It's, this is the great thing about some of these albums. And, you know, hopefully as people are listening to this and they think about their own albums, they are thinking about albums that are, as I say, they, they, they have just almost like a photographic memory that it unlocks in you, things that you remember. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And you're completely right, yeah. I can remember the, I think it was Crate of Zen was the type of MP3 player yes, that yeah. he played on. And it, it just had like a crappy sound as well. And obviously the album sounds great, uh, but it sounded rubbish through the... Through the tape deck adapter. lead and that sort of thing. And I guess in a way I kind of still hear it with that sort of distortion as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when I actually do listen to the album, I, I think, oh, blimey, it sounds a lot better. And it's because I spent so many... Uh, yeah, Journey's listening to it 
through that. Um, and, you know, I've had a great, uh, you know, experience getting to work with Rehasher, uh, which I'm not going to talk about too much now because I'm sure that'll come up another time. Um, and that, again, it's, you know, in hindsight, it, uh, it just cements how important this album was. Um, but you obviously didn't get into that album thinking you would one day... No, no, of course not. I, and But that said, one mad thing that did happen with, with that band that I was in was that not long after, we got to play a show with Bullets to Broadway, which included two members from that rehasher lineup that recorded that first album. Yeah. Um, I mean, that would have only been a couple of years after. Uh, and that was pretty surreal, especially that one of the guys actually wore one of our T-shirts on stage um, at the time. Uh, and for a young band... That was a massive deal. Like, like hu- huge... I go so far to say that that, at the time, Final? was probably a bigger deal than actually getting to work with Rehasher years later. Yeah. Because of just the weight of these things. Um, but yeah, it, it, I guess it kind of... Yeah, it was a bit of a, uh, a precursor to, to what was to come. Um, but yeah, I mean, I... You know, we've toyed around with what order we put these top five in. It possibly could go higher. Um, but you've got four others to I've fit, got four fit others in. to talk about. And this doesn't... It really, it's just a, an order for us to get them out in. You know, on any other given day, these could have been a different order. It's just sure. one of those things. But if for my fourth, and I know that it would have made your... Possibly would have been in contention for yours... The darkness, permission to land. Absolutely. Like, you can't... I just think it's unfaultable. There are no skippable... There's no track you would skip. And yeah, the album flows so well. And I, I know that we both share a love for um, giving up and the way it goes into Stuck in a Rut. Yeah. And, you know, the... Dun, 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 you know, it's just... It's, it's incredible how big this band got and unfortunately that was their downfall but we're not talking about that because I think they've had a rise recently but in regards to the noughties they were huge and I've do you know what I looked into it there wasn't anyone doing that sort of genre revival at the time Wolf Mother came three years later after Permission to Land Uh, The Hives loosely if you go on Spotify they're a, a suggested artist but I wouldn't say they were really doing not what in the doing. same way no you know they were just so different and I remember like the video for Growing On Me with the Marshall cabs in the, in the garden and you know yeah. and then finding out what the lyrics of that song were about and you know supposedly about uh, him genital having a genital yeah, war yeah. And like the spaceship video for I Believe in a Thing Called Love and then we saw them the year that album came out. Well, fun enough, I just thinking about this, we saw them the same day that we saw Linkin Park. Do you, do you remember why we saw The Darkness? Uh, no. Jay-Z dropped out. Oh, right. That was the year Jay-Z was middle of the stage on that main stage. Wow. He pulled out and The Darkness were a last minute fill-in. I had to confirm this so I checked. <laughs> so we could have seen Jay-Z. Yeah. Which would have also been quite yeah. cool to remember. But yeah, that's why the darkness stepped in. And I remember my, my my fond memory, we stood left-hand side, which was odd. Because we now, if we were to go later years, which we did, and that will come up again. This is what I mean about the photographic memory. We, we now always stand on the right. Yeah. But we were stood on the left. And I remember him saying, just before Get Your Hand of My Woman, 
giving the whole speech about do you want to hear this the edited version or the real version with, with the swearing and everyone's cheering and it was just like sunny it was like a sunny day at a festival and it was just mad and even now like listening to this album Reese like at the weekend just to confirm I was like yeah it's an it's a phenomenal album absolutely I mean the, just the like, how did they manage to pull it off like the yeah. the theatrical nature of it all and yet they, they it was kind of like they were winking at the audience the whole time like we know what we're doing yeah, yeah, yeah. and we know that you're in on this with us but that it didn't it wasn't parody it was still quite affectionate towards that music that had come before yeah it's almost like there'd been enough time uh, that had passed since that sort of era of music that they could do this uh, and that you could almost just not poke fun, just have fun yeah. with it. I do remember uh, to reference another podcast, Jason Perry talking about the Hawkins brothers. Yeah. And one day, uh, Dan just showed up in a Thin Lizzy t-shirt, <laughs> and he was like, "Oh yeah," and he was like, "Yeah, I love Thin Lizzy." And he, I think Jason was touching upon the point that maybe they, but clearly, you know, to be as good a guitarist as they are. And as good or bad, they obviously had some fond, um, not fond, that's the wrong, had some love for that style of music. Because you can't sure. you can't uh, recreate that style of music without, you know, liking it. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it was authentic. And I mean, they, like you say, they just propelled through and they were on fire for about a year or two. I mean... Well, they went on to headline Reading Festival the next year. Yeah. And that wasn't received all that well. Um, it was just too much too soon, I think. But it was a massive deal. I mean, it was our first year going to Reading, so we didn't yeah. really have much of a frame of reference at the time. But, yeah, the the atmosphere, I just remember being insane that during that set. And it was because of how much excitement had built around that band at yeah. that stage. I mean, they pretty much had exploded onto the scene earlier that year. Uh, and they were just riding a wave. It was fantastic all the way through till uh, they played at the Bic. Yeah, I didn't and they, see they did, that. They did a marina tour by the end of that year. That all happened in the space of a year, which is just insane. Yeah, but I mean, it's kind of you know we'll, we'll step over the the awkwardness that followed it. But now that they're just kind of back and they've just sort of found their space where people just enjoy it. And we I mean, supported I, Toto recently. Really? Yeah, I think a, a Toto gig in London, possibly. Okay, yeah, that and would the make Darkness sense. were the main support. It's just yeah. like, yeah, you know, they could easily crop up on shows like that and just... You, you, You'd be pleased you, to see them. Yeah. Um, and I've been lucky enough to see them a couple of times at headline gigs as well as festivals. And yeah, they're just... Uh, I think if you just accept them, like you said, for what they are, they're a feel-good band. Um, and I know we both love this album... But your fourth is a an album that I never really a band that I never really got into. I knew that you loved them, but I never. I don't know why I never crossed that bridge to find them. But okay, so this is American Hi-Fi. It's the self-titled debut album, uh, and I think part of the reason actually why I gave this the fourth spot was because I just think it's a very underrated and just overlooked album. And I could say that about them as a band uh, generally. Um, I don't know why they are so overlooked and, and not really remembered as, as being part of that kind of wave of bands that came through in the beginning of the uh, the 2000s. 
Um, and I don't even really know how I latched onto them. I had to really think today about how it was I even discovered them. Uh, I and how knew, was that? I knew it was the song uh, Another Perfect Day. Yeah, see, that would be one of the only singles I know. And I thought it's from a soundtrack or something, because at the time you had uh, a lot of acts like that that were on um, like American Pie and, and those sort of like film soundtracks. And I thought, it's, but it's not that. It was actually on a Koran compilation. Was it? And that's a random song because the rest of the album is quite heavy in places. Yeah. And would make much more sense to be on a Koran comp. But this track is, is kind of like the almost the ballad, but uh, was, I guess, the big single along with um, Flavor for the Week, uh, Flavor of the Week, rather. Um, but there was something about the sound that I Which liked. Which I also definitely know. Of course. I'm um, singing it in my head now. I won't. <laughs> it, I mean, it's an earworm, isn't it? And I wouldn't say it's necessarily my favourite track on the album, but it. You know, it's it's part of were they, it. And were they one of the first bands doing that style, that that style of music? It's interesting they, because they, they predate someone like Fountains of Wayne. I'm not saying they, but someone who likes Fountains of Wayne might. Like. They do. They predate Fountains of Wayne in terms of Fountains of Wayne's big single, the, yeah. obviously Stacey's Mum. But Fountains of Wayne were around before going back into the nineties. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's a similar sort of sound. I guess it. I guess with American Hi-Fi, it comes more from a grunge uh, kind of... Because um... they've definitely got some heavier songs, haven't they? Oh, definitely. And there's some really heavy stuff on this album. And interestingly, more recently, the albums have returned to that sort of sound because they, they sort of went off on a kind of a tangent into... So they're very much still together. They play occasionally. So the interesting thing is... On their terms, almost. Yeah, so the interesting thing is that Stacey Jones, who is the frontman, and he was the drummer from um, Letters to Cleo, which were a 90s rock band of the same vein, as you say, it's Fountains of Wind and that sort of thing. Um, He went on to be the um, the sort of musical production manager for Miley Cyrus. Oh, wow. uh, In, I guess, the mid to late 2000s, around the time. So he was the drummer, and then he went on to... Frontman. Frontman. Yeah, so he kind of did the Dave Grohl route. Yeah, and yeah. I think in a way there are sort of some similarities in American Hi-Fi. Uh, not to say that uh, Let's Declare were like Nirvana, but again, they're from that same era. So this was his kind of second go at it. And then did the production stuff for uh, Miley Cyrus and has pretty much stuck with her since. So it has been with her through the progression of her career and all the different sounds and stuff that have emerged from what she's done. Um I last saw them play the... This is a great story. I, I have to tell this because I want it to be on record. I saw them at the 100 Club wow. uh, in London in 2014, I think. They did a one-off London show. And the reason they did it was because Stacey and one of the other guys from the band, um, from Miley's band, were, who were both in American Hi-Fi, were over for Miley's tour. So okay. they flew the rest of the band over, basically. Nice. Uh, and did this one-off show at the 100 Club. Uh, which if you've been to, uh, I don't know if it fits 100 people, but there's a reason why it's called the 100 Club. It's, it's, it's a small little dive. It's wider bar. than it is deep, Long. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, so, and I think this is perhaps how this happened, but basically I was stood at the very front to one side of the stage. Fun enough, as you say, I was on the right looking that way. Uh, almost identically across from me was Miley Cyrus yeah, watching yeah. the band. Uh, and I didn't realise this until the next day when I saw the news, or I guess it was on some trashy website or something. I don't, know, I don't know how I saw this, but photos of Miley falling out of the 100 Club. Um, Not lashed up. Yeah, and I realised that I would have I was basically stood 
opposite her from no, the photos that I then saw. See, I'd forgotten you'd been to that gig, but now you've told the Miley story, mm-hmm. I remember you telling me that. <laughs> yeah, so I almost met Miley Cyrus. Um, but back to American Hi-Fi, so that a couple of years ago, I think it was 2016, they did a acoustic version of the whole album. Oh, wow. And that is actually what brought it back into the sort of forefront of my mind. Um, not just the band, but that album in particular. Hearing those songs in a different rendition and just realising actually how much I love those songs. Uh, so yeah, when I went through the short list, and I mean, you kind of pre-guessed that this would be... Um, I, do, I, I think I've always associated you with that band... It's an unusual because one. I've and I've not it's, heard many other people mention I know, I know, I know. And I wonder whether there's a part of me, particularly with who I was and where I was at at that time, that I kind of sort of treated it as my own band because not that many other people seemed that interested in it, so I sort of clung on to it as it was my thing. You know what it's like when you're younger and you do that. Um, well, funny enough, my next choice, I feel like we both had a okay. similar feeling on that, maybe, when you, you take ownership of an artist or band. And then you're almost slightly dubious or scared to let them grow or get bigger but yeah. I, so my next choice is um frank turner sleepers for the week which we did share so <laughs> i'm grateful for that at least <laughs> yeah, yeah um i just feel like everything about this album is for, well for me i can't think of an acoustic artist that i was as fond of at that time. I feel like Frank maybe led the path for me finding other, you know, acoustic... I know he's gone full band now and that's great and he still does acoustic stuff, but I feel like he was the first guy I ever saw on a stage with an acoustic just on his home, holding the stage and in many different venues. Me and you followed him around loads of places I feel like London yeah I mean I think if we were to list all the Frank gigs I mean probably the majority of them are in those first couple of years yeah and we were very lucky we got to co-promote uh, yeah a show um, in a how big was Green Room well, in, if you know of yeah. it, if you're local Green Room in Boscombe I know a lot of local bands I think there, it, the capacity was about 60 or 70 we definitely sold it out well, well they, they we overfilled it I remember them letting people in because they'd never seen the green room as yeah. busy because it was a locals pub it was you didn't go in there unless you had a weapon <laughs> <laughs> we can say this now because the pub is gone and yeah, they're building houses got, there if, now as you're walking in someone would say you got a knife and you're going no no I'm not carrying anything here's one you know you, you, you wouldn't fucking step in there would you like and even when you did I remember going in there and like straight away you'd run to the left to get into the venue bit of it because you were terrified to stay in the main bar. I don't know if this is how you remembered it because of our age at the time. I think if we probably went in there now and we can't now because, as I say, they're building flats there, um, perhaps it wouldn't seem that frightening. Well, I think it still might. Uh, that area, sure, but probably but, the pub was actually a safe haven. But you, you'd you seen him at the green room previously? Yeah, so we knew of Million Dead. Yeah, uh, we got into them sort of on the tail end of of them being. We about. both saw them at Reading, though, didn't we? We did in two thousand and five. Just a tall bloke. Yeah, uh, chucking himself around, around on yeah. a, a one point cowboy hat. I seem to remember. Maybe you might be right. I swear, and trousers falling down, <laughs> like just but being blown away by it, and then yeah. obviously that disbanded, and it was pretty like, much a few months after. Oh God, we, we got into this band way too late. Yeah, you know? which was it, and there's been plenty of bands like that, so you can't 
get upset about it, but yeah. you sort of kept so, an eye so on him, didn't you? I'll tell you what it was. It wasn't even that I kept an eye on him. I used to listen to uh, a show on Radio 1, Mike Davies. Uh, it used to be called The Lockup, and that yeah, was why yeah. the stage at Reading was called The Lockup. And I think eventually it became The Punk Show. Um, and he obviously liked Million Dead and stayed in touch with Frank and would have Frank on as a in-session guest quite okay, often. Yeah. And then I guess he must have said something about the tour dates or whatever. And that, at that point, he was basically playing every single day. Yeah. Uh, and happened to mention he was playing Boscombe. Uh, so me and, again, my girlfriend at the time, uh, which is a different one to the rehash one, I might know, uh, we went down and, yeah, just took a punt on, on what it was going to be like. At that stage, I didn't really know that much other than a couple of songs that he played on Mike Davies' show. And, uh, yeah, it was phenomenal. And you could have heard a pin drop during some of the songs. Uh, and, yeah, it was about a year later that we were lucky enough to get to bring him back to the green room. With Adam Boucher. With Adam Boucher, who I met at that first show. Yeah. Um, but aside from actually the live stuff, I, th- I feel like it's an amazing recording, but it's it doesn't boast of having 500 grand chucked behind it like like some of the albums that we're mentioning now did. Mm-hmm. You know, millions probably that Linkin Park had to... to but it's, I felt like every song I could sort of relate to, the lyrics and I feel yeah, like... It I, hit us at a point in our life where, although our life wasn't, wasn't quite on the same uh, trajectory as Frank, there were a lot of things in it about basically going out and drinking and getting up and doing it again. Going to gigs, yeah. you know, going yeah, on yeah. road trips, you know. and um, It did, it did. I mean, it became the soundtrack for our, to our life for a few years. And I, again, I think... Seeing that, as you say, that Lost Evening show a couple of years ago, which was an album show of, of Sleepers of the Week, I think, again, it cemented how important that album was. Did, I, uh, so, uh, The Lost Evenings was a... Uh, sorry to cut in, okay. but... I feel like the first time we saw him at... Because I, I want to refer back to the ownership and first sort of person I really was like, I would happily just him make albums for me. And then we saw him at Reading Festival on the what would have been the Carling stage there. Yeah. And I remember walking in and not knowing what... And you know when you go and see a band and you want the crowd to love them because you want that person on stage to have a good time? I don't know if anyone else has that feeling, but I've seen bands recently. I think I said it about Feeder. Like It upset me that the crowds were... It wasn't the best Feeder crowd you, I've ever had. You, you find that you're rooting for the artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was... It was the first, I felt like that Reading Festival set, like Father's Day kicked in and everyone in that, like the tent was round, like, and everyone's singing the da yeah, yeah. And I, I, I feel like I cried, like, because <laughs> I just remember thinking, fuck me, go on, Frank, have it, you know. I, don't... I think this is what propelled Frank. I think that he went out to the smallest venues he could find and got a bunch of people on side and then it was those festival gigs particularly Reading uh, I've heard him referred to as Mr. Reading before because he played, played it, like, it God, like more times than probably figures. any other artist yeah, yeah. Uh, but those Reading festival gigs were like a convention of Frank fans of people up and down the country because at this point it wasn't you know he was on the punk show on Radio 1 but he wasn't on mainstream radio one no, so people didn't yet. you know it wasn't like the darkness people didn't know about him in that to that extent it was a bunch of people that were in the know getting together in the smallest tent essentially yeah. at, at reading um and singing the songs and i think that was why it was such a special feeling 
Yeah, and I just, you know, the way he comes across on stage, the way he presents himself, and I've listened to countless podcasts now with him as a guest, and um, he's got his podcast out at the moment. Which is fantastic, we both listen to it. Yeah, we're we're both um, up to date on that, and, you know, all the information coming out of it, and this new album he's released, and I said, he just, he seems very humble with where he's come from, and... Um, I presented the idea to him that he I, he was in my top five and that he was close. And um, I just I messaged him and said, um, you know, have you got any thoughts that you are in a top five of debut albums from that era? And he actually sent us a, a lovely reply, a voice message about the album and about being chose for, you know, I feel like it is a big deal. There were so many albums out in that, mm-hmm. debut albums from that era. So, you know, let's um, have a quick listen to what Frank had to say. I am exceedingly flattered to have Sleepers for the Week included in a list of best debut full-length albums from the 2000s. Um, at the time, I mean, it's difficult in some ways to cast my mind back quite that far because it was recorded 13 years ago as I'm talking now and so much has happened in the interim but um you know the whole thing sort of still felt like a kind of wild experiment uh, a risk um and whilst it was a lot of fun um and it felt quite artistically pure I'm not sure I expected it to go anywhere particularly what I mean by artistically pure is that um, I've been in a hardcore band and I knew that if I just formed another band that sounded like Million Dead, I would have done much better, much more quickly. Um, and I was just sort of following this weird road of playing kind of folk rock, country rock, whatever you want to call it, stuff on my own um, and recording in my mate's house and just sort of roping some friends in. Um, and, you know, it was done on an absolute shoestring budget. And um, I have issues with some of the mix decisions that we took in retrospect but uh, I think enough time has passed now that I can kind of put that kind of thing aside and just say that I uh, I enjoy the songs you know um, when we re-rehearsed the material for the 10-year anniversary a few years ago at the first Lost Evenings Festival um, it was an interesting experience because I think that I you know I don't listen to my own records and I sort of get to this place where I have kind of preformed opinions of the records that I've made that aren't actually uh, based on any recent specific listening, it's just kind of what I can remember. And in going back and listening to the record again and relearning uh, the songs from it, both for myself and for the guys in the band, some of whom played on the record, it was a really um, liberating experience. I want to say, uh, not liberating. It was it was a it was a reassuring experience, uh, just because we kind of remember that there's a lot of good songs on there, um, and I was really just learning how to write songs in that kind of vain at the time and and it went surprisingly well with the benefit of hindsight um and here we are discussing it being a best debut full length from the 2000s um there's there's nothing i won't really stand behind on the record and i'm still very proud of it and i'm very flattered by the inclusion so thank you so that was frank and yeah some really interesting points um i I think we both picked up on him saying that he was unhappy with some of the mixes of, of some of the tracks. It makes I, you wonder be, which ones. Yeah, I would be interested, but obviously, as we've already previously mentioned, we can't really find fault in it lyrically. No, no, no. I, I guess I know what he's saying. I mean, if you if you compare it to some of his more recent stuff, uh, yeah, you can you can see that the the production budget is lower, but I don't think it is to the detriment of the songs. I mean, some of my all time favorite Frank songs are on this album. It's the reason why 
Um, I couldn't completely discredit it and what not, is, not put it in my top five. What do you think? Well, Have you got a favourite song off the album? Mine's a really unpopular choice because I know Frank isn't a big fan of this song and that's oh, right. uh, The Ladies of London Town which I think is a great song. It's, yes, I love that song. How about you? I've always loved Worst Things Happen at Sea. Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. I think from the very beginning I, and I've, you know, I remember being at Renan Festival and a good friend of ours, Clive, you know, he had an acoustic and he knew it and we had a bit of a sing-along with that around a campfire. It's not the obvious choice, you know. No, I, I think at that point it, it was... It wasn't Wonderwall, it was Worst Things Happen at Sea. Which, um, <laughs> but it was a staple in the set at that time, and it's kind of the centrepiece of that album, really. Some of the ones that are, you know, romantic fatigue and stuff, they're like, they're, it's, lyrically, they are... Beautiful songs. Yeah, and I think... I'd always be really terrified. Like, how do... Like, we've never done the second... EP. I know uh, in bands we've always we've had new songs, but we never got the. But how do you follow up? Like we haven't touched upon that. How do you follow up a debut? These debut albums, like yeah. and obviously Frank, uh, straight out the the um, the gate. I knew Proof Rock uh, before he got famous. His yeah. opening track on the on the second album on the second album and you think oh well done Frank you know yeah, you uh, can do it um, and this is I guess it's why it's not quite in my top five because I think that he's done uh, you know interesting stuff since then um, they've all yeah. progressed but I suppose unfortunately for this next band you know Frank's managed to progress but and it sort of ties into Frank slightly, doesn't it? For your it choice, does, your yeah. Choice. Which is the Postal Service uh, released uh, self-titled. Oh no, it's not self-titled. It's Give Up is the is yeah. the name of it. Uh, I guess I just overlooked the name because it is the only album. So it's just Postal Service, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, it came out in two thousand. The Postal Service yeah. album, you know. Yeah, you don't really have to differentiate. Uh, it came out in two thousand and three. I only really came to know of them by about 2005 and as I alluded to at the beginning of the podcast uh, it, one of the songs was on a, on a mixtape that was made for me uh, including some artists that I'll, I'll get onto in a bit um, but as much as I enjoyed the song and that song was um, uh, Great Heights and I don't think I really explored it any further even though I really enjoyed the song I don't, I don't know why that was I mean I guess at this time you know we didn't have an unlimited amount of money or music to access. So I, I, I think a lot of people who like our sort of genre of music will at some point know of the person. Was that the lead single of that album? I feel like it was uh, the first single. I guess it probably was. I think it was in a advert as well at the time. Yeah, so it was kind of the one that people knew. Uh, and the other one that people knew, and this is where it links to Frank, interestingly enough, is... Um, uh, the district sleeps alone tonight. Yeah, uh, and that is a song that he played at the the gig that we mentioned that um, at the Portman Hotel. That we, yeah. um, and so I kind of got into that song through that route, um, and just got to the point where I guess I'd started listening to a bit of Def Cab as well, uh, a bit late, yeah. a bit later than perhaps I should have done. Um, and I just thought, well, all signs are pointing to the postal service, and here we are. You know, and fifteen years later, talking about it, and it's in the top five albums. Do you from think it almost makes it slightly more special? The fact it is a, a I guess one-off. so because the thing is, I think even though by that point everyone had kind of had their experience with that album, I sort of discovered it 
you know, in a quiet kind of private way. Uh, and I can remember, you know, we talk about these visual memories. I can remember sat in my car in, oh God, this this takes away a bit of the romanticness of this of this story, but in McDonald's car park with hail coming down and listening to this album and just thinking how perfectly the uh, the hail kind of fell to the, yeah. the song. And it's just, it's a defining memory of listening to this album for me. And the McDonald's bit and the pen that I just dropped kind of does sour that memory a little bit. But don't concentrate on that. Concentrate on the hell. Concentrate on the songs. Um, and I, I can't remember exactly which song it was. But um, yeah, it, it, I guess I think you could still give this to somebody now, this album, and they could enjoy it as if, as if it had just come out. I, I, don't, I think it's aged well. I think it is a bit of a time capsule, though. And I think it doesn't matter when you open it, you can appreciate it for what it was. Well, I, I think, because it's definitely my honorary mentions, I didn't, although I knew of them and I knew you liked them, so I'd heard the album, I think I'd possibly borrowed the album or got you've done me a copy or for whatever reason. But I was uh, fortunate to be invited to go on a European tour with a band called No Trigger. And I really fell in love with the album then in the top bunk that we had you know, just room for three people to sleep, everyone else had seats, and it was a case of after the show, uh, whether it was France or Italy, I, I was only there roadieing and the occasional bit of tour managing while we were in the UK leg when they couldn't be bothered to speak to whoever was putting on a rubbish festival, so I would be asked. To, but So I wasn't, you know, I was very much just a, job, a dog's body for the tour, but for some reason I was always first onto the bus, so I would skip up to the top bunk tuck myself in one of the corners and whether I was watching a film on my laptop or just had my headphones in. And I feel like every day of that 16 days, I listen to this album. This is what I mean about the experience. I mean, that's... Because it been... had a scar... You, you said about the hailstones and you've never told me that, but the tour bus had a skylight and I remember looking at it, but it was lovely weather for most of the tour and just being like that... Like, but it's got a, it's just, got like a cinematic nature to it. I mean, yes. it's like it's almost otherworldly. But Ben Gibbard is yeah incredible at doing that sort of um, atmospheric intros. You know, some of the Def Cab songs have got the longest intros, but they never feel long. Yeah, and I've often daydreamed videos that I would possibly do if I had that ability to make a video for a song, and I imagine myself driving in some open top car to these songs and stuff, and. The Postal Service, you know, it's just one of those bands, like you say, it's just, it's very visual. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and we were lucky to get to see them when they did their reunion Thank in you for booking 2013, I want to say it was. Um, was it as late as that? I think it was, yeah, yeah, I think it was 2013. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that was incredible to see that album It seemed alive. very... It didn't seem staged, do you know what I mean? Like yeah, some reunions. Incredible, considering that they... They seem to have chemistry on stage. Yeah, yeah. And I've, I couldn't tell you the, the girl's name, the lady's name, which I feel really bad about now. And you're looking at me as if I shouldn't have brought this up. But anyway, they, they, they really do have a chemistry on stage yeah. together. Yeah. And it, the, the, the Brixton show, like how big Brixton is, it didn't feel like... And Brixton's 6,000 people, maybe. It, it, almost an arena. There's probably some mm-hmm. arenas cast as that. But it felt intimate because of the style of the songs, the way they were played, the, the, you know, the, 
slight reworkings, I guess. It was it was amazing, yeah. and it's just a great album. And I think I think a lot of people, regardless of the genres they go to, whether would say yeah that's a great album what, what's interesting though is obviously the style of music is you know it's, it's programmed beats and, and that sort of thing um, but you tagged me recently in a video of, of Def Cab actually performing one of the songs and playing it more live yeah and that was an incredible yeah, rendition yeah. of it proper drums yeah yeah three guitars yeah it was it really and really it's, good it's really made me want to see a whole, you know, a whole reimagining of that album, and I and I wouldn't be terribly surprised if we uh, if we saw that in time. And yeah, I do think that that could possibly come again. Yeah. Uh, there certainly didn't seem to be any ill blood with the initial breakup, and no, no, no. I think it was just a, it was just a project, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, um, but quite yeah. different to my next choice musically, uh, which is one of the bands that I feel like I saw the band, uh, I saw the video for the lead single. Bought the album within maybe a week of seeing it, and then didn't see them live for years. Uh, and this band is Billy Talent. Is this uh, your number two? This is my number two, and it could have could have been number one. Um, so, like most people, Triumphy came out on Scuzz or Kerrang or whatever it was. I think it's in a warehouse, and I think this was just when I was starting to. Aside from Lincoln Park, who weren't punk, I knew they weren't punk. I liked punk, I liked my scar, I liked scar punk, and I feel like this was the first time I'd had shouting in punk, maybe, in a punkier sort of sound, and I just, now I, li- I listen to it and I hear different things about the album, like the quality of it, the the drum sounds they managed to get are just, it's insane, like it was, I think it's ahead of its time, like, and the, the, that probably goes with the four of them as musicians as well, but the album itself again is one of those ones where they fought about track order and it flows and it blends in and it, it just it all the singles the x river river below and um try and Usty and just um cut the curtains was like um one of the first drop d songs i learned on guitar i got taught it by a guy i was in a band with called alistair and he loved the album although he's Got way heavier on the scale of things now, but I think he taught me how to play that. Dun 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 And I, you know, I would when I had a guitar, I would turn that up. And I, in fact, I played it to my eldest boy yesterday on guitar. I tuned my acoustic to drop D while he was in the bath, and I was like, and he was like, "What's that?" And I was like, "It's a song I used to learn. I used to play." years ago I can't play the whole thing I can only play the intro I'd like to add but yeah as an album I just I absolutely love it and it, I think it I think it was my first taster into heavier punky stuff that would eventually lead me down a path to like bands like the Bronx who also released albums in the noughties and that goes to a thousand and Gallows maybe and bands like that it was my first taste because of having was it NTL back then or 9X the old cable <laughs> TV but yeah we had you know so yeah I love it um, and 2003 they played Reading well interesting it's another one from that day you know but we never saw them no because we went to the main stage and watched In Me and Bonnie for Soup instead which I, I do not regret In Me's first album Overgrown Eden phenomenal British metally rock album Bone of a Soup obviously were a big band so I don't regret it but I, I, I didn't see 
Billy Talent for years. Years and years, I feel. Mm. And maybe it was Reading the first time I saw them, maybe headlining uh, the lockup or something like that. I definitely remember seeing them on the main stage. I think it was about oh, 2006, 2007. They definitely like, were one of the first ones and then they went on to co-headline well, one of the main bands um, on the Radio 1 stage um, a year that a certain band headlined that day. And Gallows were on before Billy Talent, and it was a bit of a rockier Sunday on the Radio One stage. It was really odd, but I've seen them. They, they end up playing like Reading like four or five times, and the in joke when they were headlining the Lockup and Kings of Leon were on the main stage, and the whole of the Lockup tent started going "fuck the Kings of Leon." <laughs> I and then the this. next year they came back to Radio One, and the whole crowd started chanting "fuck the and." <laughs> The front man of Billy Talent, who I did know his name because I saw it today and now I've forgotten. But anyway, we'll carry on. He goes, um, don't mind them. That's just an in-joke with uh, our band and 10,000 of our friends. Uh, That's a really good impression. I think it's a good impression. But, you know, so I've got really good memories of seeing that band. And although I haven't totally kept up to date with them, I love the second album. I think the third album's got some amazing tracks on. Um I should. Do, I feel like I need to spend a bit more time checking out the couple of new albums. Yeah, I mean, this is where this this top five, you know, for for this uh, particular topic is interesting because it wasn't bands that you are still a fan of. It no, no, was, no. You know, it could have easily been a band that you've never listened to since. Um, it's not Billy Talent isn't the band that I've really uh, followed that much or listened to all that much. But, but you would have. You've I, seen I really a few enjoyed times. the live shows. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they're in that same. Um, Camp is uh, Rolo Tomasi that you know I yeah. really enjoy seeing live, but I couldn't imagine ever listening to. It's no. just not my bag at all. Um, but there are a couple of the singles from this album in particular that I do remember being staples of uh, the club night at Unit Twenty Two in Southampton that we used to go yes. to, um, and I still hear them today, and it just transports me back to that time. So yeah, yeah. definitely hear like maybe the X followed by One Arm Scissor. Yeah, yeah. Followed by. Yeah, try um, honesty, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, I've, so I've got really fond memories of this. And, you know, I am gutted that they played Wedgwood a couple of times on those early shows and I miss them. Mm. I think maybe the, one of the... I've seen them at Portsmouth Pyramids, Festival, Southampton Guild Hall, but they've all been bigger venues. It would have been cool to see... The early days. But still, you know, even now I listen to it on a run at the weekend just to say, just to confirm, yeah, I love this debut album. And... Um, yeah, I, I you know I don't skip any tracks. I can I play it loud, and I it's a it's a great album. And uh, compared to your number two, they came out similar times. Yeah, so my number two is Motion City soundtrack. I am the movie, which again for some reason I keep calling the self-titled album. Uh, I really confused you the other day by by calling you it did this. in a WhatsApp yeah, yeah. message. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why, but yeah, it's I am the movie. Um, this was the one that we we have talked about a bit before uh, recording uh, because you know I wasn't sure whether I ought to be including it because for me the first motion album that I got into was Commit This to Memory and yeah. Commit This to Memory is probably I mean depends which day of the week it is but it's one of my if not my all time favorite album yeah um, so it feels really weird to be picking this when Commit came out in and the I- same decade but. This is the debut, and having that conversation has made me think about it, and it is an, it's a phenomenal album, and really sort of paved the way for all of the interesting stuff that Motion did 
I think Commit This Memory is, it kind of goes on a tangent and is more consistent in terms of the sound uh, across all the tracks and, and flows better as, as one album. But on this, they, they do run in a few different directions. And uh, I think if you listen to Panic Stations, which is the, the final, for the, for the time being anyway, uh, motion album, I think there's actually some similarities in terms of mm-hmm. they're trying all sorts of different things there again. It's almost like a bit of a reboot, if, if you'll I, yeah, I can allow see me the, the phrase um, in this respect. But yeah, I mean, it's the band that I've been pointing, signposting to for the last you know hour or so about this mixtape. Um and that is really where I, I began to dive in with Motion. Uh, that mixtape I got had, I want to say, uh, capital H on it, and and maybe Boombox Generation, or, or perhaps even, obviously, Future Freaks Me Out, the big single. Um, and it reminded me that I'd heard a few things. I think I'd even seen the video for Future Freaks Me Out a few years earlier, but again, for whatever reason, didn't follow up on it. Um, but I remember hearing those, and then trying to see what I could find online. Uh, again, we're talking about a time where things weren't readily available. Uh, and downloading the first couple of tracks from uh, Commitments to Memory, which were free, I think, on Epitaph's website at the time. Yeah. And then that was it. Then I was all in. Uh, spent the whole summer uh, loving Commitments to Memory. And then by the autumn, uh, went back to I Am The Movie. And yeah, it just... Actually, it it's grown quite well um with me as i kind of go back there's there's some that i probably wouldn't have appreciated at the time uh things like uh, uh, tracks like autographs and apologies and um you know some of those slower tracks on the album that actually yeah, they're, they're really well written songs and and perhaps they don't get played that often when when you see them live so you don't think about it so much but yeah there's some really interesting ideas um yeah i don't you know that album for me could have easily been in my list as well. It's a band that you made me aware of. And I know there's a lot of people in our friendship group who, you know, that band is one that you brought to the table and we all fell in love with. And we did show, uh, you know, we went to lots of different shows to see them. We've been lucky enough to see them in some relatively small venues as well. And one of the only album shows that I think I've really enjoyed as well Um when they did the two albums. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we got to see... Because sometimes the concept doesn't always work. No. But, again, I think what all these debut albums have in common is their start-to-finish listens. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any... And especially on Iron Movie, there's no lead track there. Like, whether it's remembering one of the songs because of a drum fill or a keyboard part, it's just... Justin has this way with lyrics as well that just draws you in like they're so complex because of things that were going on in yeah and I think life. I think when you learn some of that and with hindsight how, when you go back and listen to it you can hear the sadness sometimes I know but how do you write it's like for me the Smiths alright and I won't go into that too much because I know they're a love hate they're a Marmite band or whatever you want to call them but I will listen to the Smiths in any particular mood angry sad happy I take it on for what it is I find it really enjoyable music and I think what was going on in his life, and I'm not saying, you know, they were purposely trying to be depressing because it's a different sort of style compared to Morrissey, but it's an it's an album for every mood. Yeah. Like he talks about drug addiction 
alcohol, ev- like love, it covers everything. And yeah, you c- and, you in, could... and in the same breath talks about will and grace. <laughs> yeah, ex- yes. It's so bloody clever. Like the bloke is, he's a modern day Morrissey, if you want to, you know. <laughs> you know, but do you, do you know you know what I mean? Like they're one of those bands yeah. who don't, like, I've got heavier bands that, like for instance, Every Time I Die, I will put them on when I'm a bit raging. If I'm in a really good mood and both boys are in the garden I'm on, and I'm having a barbecue, for me, I wouldn't put, they wouldn't be my first choice of band. But I've got the albums, I've got them on vinyl. If I'm on my own at home and I've had a bit of a stinker of a day, they go on. Whereas Motion, and every album does this, they're just an everydayer. Yeah, and that is a qu- yeah. and that is not an easy feat. That it's not an easy thing to do. It's interesting you say that. Like I, I got the opportunity to talk to Justin this year. Uh, when he played at Slam Dunk Festival, and if you listen to our previous podcast, you'll learn a bit more about that. Mm. Um, but the first thing I said, and it's awful when you just you've got so many things to say, uh, and I just said, "Thank you for being the soundtrack to my you know adult life." <laughs> And it's true, like it is the soundtrack because it's got the highs, it's got the lows. Um, yeah, it's just Ticks it's an all rounder. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, like talking about this now, like it's even like something no, that you're more. Because this isn't, that wasn't even in my notes, but you know, and you know, thank you, Liam, for giving <laughs> me, welcome. for giving me that. You're album. welcome. Um, but no, I think, I, and I, I think if you, I think it's one of those ones, if you haven't heard Motion City soundtrack before, You've got perfect opportunity now because they are doing. They've decided to tour again. Yeah. Whether or not that means new music, it seems pretty authentic. But to be honest, if you if you want new stuff, I mean, Justin is a machine in terms of songwriting. Yeah, and his solo stuff is really good. His solo album's really good. In fact, I think that again, you know, there's parallels with that solo album and this one really in terms of trying different things. And it's it's not like a kind of a. Um, you know, try everything and, and maybe one thing will work. I mean, it, it's just reflecting different sides of the of the songwriting personality, I think. We're almost at number one. I know. Are we I, ready to go? Yeah, yeah. I'm, so my number one, and I always laugh at one of our joint friends, George, because I don't know if you remember this, he always used to refer to me as the indie kid. Like, right. Ed all like that, that's indie. Like, Kaiser Chiefs came out. Ed probably likes that. He likes his indie. That's not his voice. It's a rubbish impression. So I always laugh. It's not as good as the very talent one. I always laugh laugh to myself when I think of me liking quite a lot of indie. Like the first Kaiser Chiefs album. Like um, Cray album. (laughs) You know, Employment. Um, Future's first album. Amazing. Young Knives' first offering was like... Again, yeah, that was... Incredible. You know, there's plenty of bands from... Indie bands from the, the, the noughties, the rakes. You know, the I side on the maybe heavier, quirkier stuff. I wasn't so into like the enemy and bands that seemed to just be trying to or the Fratellis. I wasn't as into them. Like I did like Razor Light. I think their first album, you can't knock that first album. It's but the one I've gone with, and none of them made it even into my top ten, by the way. But an album that I love from start to finish is Maximo Park, A Certain Trigger. And I didn't, I I sort of surprised myself when I just thought, no, that's my number one. And I I was really chuffed. I wasn't trying to be different, (laughs) but I love the album. I like, and I'm holding it now on CD and I bought it from HMV in Poole. And 
I remember that. So I first saw them for the video for going missing, and he's. It's just he's sat on a couch, and it's a really weird video. But all the videos from that period of their, this album are very weird. Like they're all a bit odd or different. And yeah, like apply some pressure for graffiti going missing. Like the coast is always changing. Just amazing songs. Like so so good. Uh, just. I love it. I love the album. I like it's quiet in the mix. So if it if it's part of a, a shuffle, I always know when it's about to come on because it's slightly quieter. Even when you do the whole iPhone thing of uh, check my tracks, yeah. it's it's a quiet album in the mix, which is really odd. But yeah, I just I, it's a phenomenal album, and I think they've continued to make some really interesting style music. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's again there's parallels with 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 motion. I think it it is to me a of course the keys a, 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 the... yeah a, a band trying to find their sound, but doing that in a way that doesn't seem like a mess. It seems like almost beautiful experimentation that that they're sort of inviting you in to to listen to as as they figure it out, and and the results are are mixed, but all, all very interesting. And I mean, I didn't get into them at the time it's one of those bands that i i sort of in hindsight i remember you banging on about and i wish i had been around because listening to you talking about it now that excitement that you have about it is kind of what i feel about this band now yeah Um, and i will never get that for this album and as such it does kind of fall behind in terms of how i rank their discography yeah um it's something that I just I'm I'm aware of how important it is, but I just maybe I need to go back after this and have another listen again. Um, well, there's been a, but know, I just didn't have that same entry point that you did. Like I said about Frank, like I felt like this was my band. Like in my group of friends, I knew no one, and like you said, when the later albums came out, and you were like, "Oh yeah, I love that album," and I was like, "Huh? What? Do you?" Like, <laughs> well, no, I love the first album. You know, it became a bit of ownership, but. I'm really chuffed you got into them because we've been to see them a couple of times. And, you know, Reading Festival-wise, I think you were there the year he wore the blue suit on the main stage with yeah, the bowler hat. It was 2009. It was 2009, Thank to you. be precise. Uh, you know, and I saw him at, like, I've seen him at Wedge, a tiny venue, recent, like, quite yeah, recently. Yeah, in the last 10 years, yeah. The Unearthly Pleasures Tour, I saw him at Guildhall with a really random band, Rooster supporting which was odd definitely yeah, we'll definitely for a long time i can't think they invited them that, but i think that was when uh, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't need to talk about binds um but i've seen them quite a few I've more when i was trying to list it more times than i thought it had and i just yeah this album for me and you know you've got i quite like that we've got different albums like we like like you like quick in the heart um it's like, pretty much like everything they've done but um, you've never got into no since I got into them. It's just it's but one you of those things you where it. I'm looking at your version of the CD as well. <laughs> yeah. So you went, you are but you call yourself a completist, don't you? Yeah. So you like to complete a set. Yeah. Uh, I've got a few of the tracks on vinyl on on, on seven inch vinyl as well. Yeah, in my collection yeah. that I picked up over the years. But I, um, yeah, I do. I if I if I were to put it in my, I think even if I put it in my honourable mentions, I'd feel a fraud. Um, but it's certainly no discredit to how much I love this band. Yeah, I think I listened to it again. I did a long run for me on Sunday. 
and I put it on start to finish and I think at the end of it like I could feel myself smiling during the run and I went yeah that's my number one like I, I just knew it as I was listening to it I was like that's my number one it's one of those CDs I played to death and it wouldn't be like you know I didn't it wasn't because I could talk to all my mates about it because not a lot of people particularly liked it you know and that didn't make me want to like it more I just I loved it you know and I still love it now I can still put it on now and love it like I just listened to it for the first time and I think that band I, I, I think credit to them their new album you know Record, Stay, uh, Record Store Day release I got it's a great album and it's quite different to this one now but it's still so good mm-hmm. um so, well, yeah, you've, but, you've set the bar pretty high. I've now well, got we're, fini- speak we're finishing, and I'll let you lead this, but with one that could have easily been my number one. Wow. And sort of because you chose it, I was lucky enough that I didn't have to try <laughs> and fit it into my top five, but you, your number one is? My number one is Get Cape, Wear Cape, Fly, The Chronicles, or it might just be Chronicles, actually. No, it's The Chronicles of a Bohemian Teenager, the whole thing is a mouthful, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I can completely understand why, I think it was about five years ago, Sam Duckworth decided that he wanted to change the band name and, and kind of reboot it a little bit as uh, as Recreations and then found his way back to Get Cape again. Yeah. Um, I'm so pleased he did. It, it's almost unfortunate. I mean, what's in a name at the end of the day? But well, it's abbreviated quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah, to Get Cape. That's kind and of the album title is abbreviated. Chronicles, like, yeah. yeah. But I mean, this album for me, I think a bit like you, I kind of knew this all along, that this was going to be my number one. Um, it came a bit later in, in the decade, it was 2006, and it was something that I just, I guess I just kind of happened upon in the most natural way, a bit like the rest of it, really. And yeah, so the story goes, uh, and I think what, some of what you were saying about you were more into, or you were more sort of au fait with, with indie releases, and I think uh, Get Cape came up through that uh, side of things more so than the punk uh, side, yet we later learned that, that Sam was a promoter in Essex and used to put on uh, all sorts of punk and ska shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he, you know, he, he, I think he does sit in, almost in both camps. Um, but I, I probably would have discounted it based on the name. I mean, this is kind of why I'm focused on the name perhaps more than I should be. Um, I think if I'd heard that name at the time, I would have said, that's not my bag. It sounds yeah, too yeah, toy yeah. and indie and... And, and two sort of of its time a bit like things like We Are Scientists and stuff that I just I just kind of knew that I, I didn't yeah. I wasn't into as much um, so what happened so the story goes we gave a couple of friends a lift to a Get Cape gig uh, in I think it was in October um, in Bridport of yeah. all places bit of a drive. And yeah, we, we just sort Not of did too it far, as, but... as you did at the time. We just kind of went along for the, the journey in a way and we just milled around in Bridport, which isn't a very happening town. Like, <laughs> I feel like I should note, like, there, was, there wasn't anything else for us to do whilst they were at the show. Um, and it just so happened that someone outside, I don't know if it was the promoter or what, basically offered us tickets as well for a fiver. And because we'd, we'd planned to just go find somewhere for dinner. To get dinner, yeah, and go yeah. back, yeah. Because at that point... How many... Had you heard any tracks? Nothing. I had heard nothing at yeah, all. No, I think maybe you had heard enough to know what it was. Uh, but we paid five quid and we went in and, oh my God, like... It, let's just say that ten years later, I find myself walking the mile that is Southend Pier to see him play the 10th anniversary show. 
and almost to kind of go full circle back to Linkin Park, you know, I don't think we came away and were like, oh, that was groundbreaking. I think we came yeah. away and was like, that was good. But I'd I remember... Like to hear more. Yeah, I don't know if I maybe said that at the time, but then I found myself, uh, and weirdly, I was staying at your house. Like, I made a note about this. I was staying at your house this week that this happened. Yeah. Uh, and... I think I may have even been using your sister's laptop. I was, I was certainly staying in her room. Quite possibly. Um, uh, because no one else was there, I might add. And I decided to have a, like a little private little listen to some Get Kate. And I think at this point he had like a few songs streaming on his website. Yeah. And I had a listen. I was like, yeah, actually, I really like this. Would that have been the days of MySpace? That would have still been very Probably much. was. So I, I'm, I'm sure they were streaming. tracks on MySpace. Maybe it's a combination of MySpace and, and the webpage. Uh yeah, and I just decided this isn't quite my normal bag, a bit like Linkin Park. Um, but yeah, I guess I felt the same thrill as you did playing Linkin Park loud. I felt the same thrill like playing these songs quietly, and, and a bit like Postal Service, it became like my you know my quiet soundtrack. But then there's some really upbeat songs in it, like you know yeah. Call Me Ishmael and yeah. uh, Glass Houses and. You know, all these ones, you know, again, and then balanced with stuff like but, Once More Feeling and Oak Tree and, oh my God, I could keep going on about this all night. I could do a whole podcast on it. But what I find amazing is a lot of those tracks, some of the parts were recorded in a van yeah. while he's touring yeah, with yeah. a line in. Yeah. And you just think that's the sort of budget he was dealing with. And yet this could easily have been in my top five. It could have easily been my number one. Yeah. It's your number one. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah, like well, it's a bit like the Frank album. I mean, you were talking about the the lower budget on that. I I just don't think that budget and also, is I'd always. I'd like to say that I don't think Maximo had a. You know, it's it's yeah, it's a bit rough around the edges. It's scratchy. There's it's, there's certainly a quality a, a, a quality to it which isn't polished. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've had we've had we've been very fortunate. We've had some great experiences watching Get Cape yeah. and listening to Get Cape, and I. Yeah. Would Speaking like... of vans, yeah, <laughs> for, for, this is, okay, we're going to put this because this needs to be on record in case something happens. You know, touch what it doesn't to one of us. This this should be known that for a very short period of time, Ed owned a mystery machine, uh, and at this period of time, we were but it quite wasn't often... the mystery machine. It was an LDV van which had been painted <laughs> to look like. Of course, one. I don't think anyone thought it was actually uh, Freddy's, but you mean there was another one around that looked yeah, which looked way better. And this Mine one was the was... shit version, <laughs> six hundred pounds. <laughs> But we used to drive it around and got I some looks. I carpeted that and applied it and then had to scrap it because it had a major oil leak. But it was worth carpeting because we used to sit in the back and yeah. eat uh, chocolate chips, uh, the sort that you'd use for baking, and listen to Get Cape. And I think... Gla- uh, glass bottles of Coke. Yeah. Six pack. <laughs> a little silver speaker. Yeah. And my CD anti-jog Sony player. Wow. And we used to just listen to it from start to finish, among other albums. Um, what a time to be alive I mean dude, you know. fuck all <laughs> just <laughs> necking a few bottles of coke eating some chocolate chips meant for a cake straight out of a pack how is that how can you anyone message us now and tell us how that isn't now your number one album we uh, <laughs> you know we, we, we've talked tonight about the um, the albums we maybe haven't focused as much on the tracks as perhaps we ought to uh, but you know, go away and listen to these if you like the sound of it, or maybe, or maybe you know them. But in a way, I hope people have enjoyed these stories. That I've uh, just realised I said I didn't want it to all be about nostalgia. <laughs> Why I've picked them? Quite a few of mine are just based on nostalgia. 
Yeah, but not purely nostalgia. I think no, that's no, the thing. I think, no, I think no, we... you have to have the quality of song in the album to make you fall in love yeah. with the scenarios that you're then in because of those songs. Yeah, I think I can stand by this whole list, and I think any of it, any of the ones that we've picked, um, I you know I still listen to these albums today, regardless of the nostalgia. Yeah, definitely, all of them I would still I still do play today. Well, there we go. So just before we wrap up, any other wanna... honourable mentions? All right, so I've got. Five that we're not going to say anything about, I don't think. Just going to list three. I'm just going to list mine. So, Bombay Bicycle Club, I had the blues, but I shook them. Cool. Uh, recently missed out on bloody tickets to that gig at Brixton. Coldplay, Parachutes, love that album. 100 Reasons, Ideas Above Our Station. I know you'd agree yeah, with me there. That short is list, a yeah. Amazing album. Ghost of a Thousand, This Is Where the Fight Begins. Again, I mentioned getting into heavier stuff. That album's incredible. And insane, and it's a British band, and I'm devastated they only did the two albums. And Las Vegas, um, first album, which is just again, I that is still on heavy rotation for me. Yeah, and that was a real hard one to miss out of my top five. I'm glad you included it because um, it means that I can go through some different honourable mentions. Cool. Because <laughs> uh, my it was tough actually shortening this down. It really uh, was. Grammatics is is my number six. Um, Try not to go too much into these because we're running out of time. Um, but that is a, a really uh, special album, and I could have talked about that for a long time. I didn't include it because it was the tail end of the decade and could have yeah. just as easily been, you know, a 2010 album. Uh, Paramore, all we know is falling. Yeah. Again, talking about lower budgets. I think it sounds a bit rough now and a, a bit flat in places, but the songs are Massive incredible. Singles on that album, and they would not be the band that they are if it wasn't for that album. I mean, Riot obviously was much bigger, but they wouldn't have got right if it wasn't for this one. Uh, Kids and Glass Houses, an important album for me, and I've had a special relationship with it um, since uh, getting to put it on, uh, press it on vinyl for the first time back uh, in 2012, uh, and then Head Automatica. Another one that came out of the mixtape, the infamous one from 2005 that included and again, Motion and Postal Service. Again, Head Automatica, you know, would have been on my honourable mentions if it wasn't for you, and we were lucky enough to see them at yeah. in uni. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I'm going to include, yeah, Fall Out Boy as well, uh, Take This to Your Grave, which, um, you know, uh, I think sort of stands apart now from the rest of their discography uh, and, and is a good standalone album uh, in its own right. So there we go. We uh, we've wrapped it up. Um, it's time for us to say goodbye. Uh, anything that you want to add before we go? No, just uh, thanks once again to Frank for the the message. Um, greatly received, and yeah, just if we'll probably now it's going to be slightly more formatted. We'll probably list the albums again. They're all on Spotify. You know, if anything you've heard, you've enjoyed, go and have a listen and see if they become your favourite debut albums from the noughties. Excellent. So we will be back, I guess, later in the summer, early autumn with the uh, the first proper episode of the show. Um, you can class us as the first episode you want. Well, I think I'm quite pleased with how you it's You heard it first. It might be one of those moments like we saw Frank at Green Room. You heard this be- before the, the next person did <laughs> yeah. if you enjoyed what you heard we are starting a, uh, a mailing list um, and we're going to send out some additional content via that you can get that if you go to twotrackmind.uk uh, and we'll put some other stuff in the the comments as well we're going to put together a spotify list of some of our favorite tracks from the albums that we talked about tonight cool. 
Um, and you can check that out. Uh, so yeah, thanks very much, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.